Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have to sit before you, all of us, myself included, Lord, that we might be put into your presence at your feet with you as our teacher, that we might be drawn to Jesus this evening, Lord, as we sit in the scriptures, Lord, we pray that you would teach us truths that the world won't tell us, that even our own selves would withhold from us in order to satisfy our own flesh. But rather, we pray that you would come at us with whatever is needed in order to change us, in order to cause our faith to trust Jesus more. Whatever it takes to draw near to him, Lord, we pray that you would work within us. Lord, we know that there are things that are difficult to hear from you. But Lord, we know that your truth is never absent from your grace. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be tender to us as well, that you would come strong and you would come with comfort at the same time. And so we give ourselves to you. I pray that you would guide my heart and my mind and my lips to only say what you have ordained for this evening. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's sometimes hard to get up and preach uh, because you don't always know if people are going to believe what you have to say. I was just uh, reading uh, earlier in the Reader's Digest about how much people trust other people. And they did a survey where they asked people if... If you lost $100 and somebody was to find it, how much would you trust the person who found it to give it, give it back? And what they did was they gave different types of people based on mostly occupation, dry cleaners, uh, home builders. And the number one group of people that were trusted to give the money back were in-laws. <laughs> in-laws. <laughs> 71% of people said, I believe my in-laws would give that $100 back. Now, I have great in-laws. I'm 100% sure they give my, uh, my money back. They, they have raised a great uh, woman who, who uh, in, uh, endures me, and she married me, and, and I've got three great kids, and I'm glad that they're here tonight. Number two was doctors. Doctors would be the second uh, group of people. And coming in at 69% were clergy. People trusted clergy only 69% to give the money back. And so here I stand before you wondering if six, only 69% of you trust me tonight. But you know, uh, a lot of people can take the stage and can take a mic, but there's, there's one God who always tells the truth. And so that's why we go to the Scripture to understand what He says. We want to know what He says. Jason Hudson can stand up here. Ms. Della Grace can stand up here. Any preacher can get up, but unless they are dividing the Word of God correctly, unless the Lord comes and brings us... Uh, brings His truth to us, somebody could be lying. And it's not about $100. It's about eternity. It's about eternity. So we want to make sure we have the truth. So we're going to go to the Scriptures tonight. And we're actually going to tackle a subject that's been very present in our midst over the last couple weeks. And not just in this room, and not just among Christians, but along all of the Carolinas. There's been a great big storm that came our way. And we watched it as it came across the radar and it came across the Atlantic and we watched it come and man, it was geared up originally to come right out of the gut and come right. In fact, it was coming just about over my house when I saw it on the radar. I just live a few blocks from here and man, we thought it was coming. It, it veered and it did its thing, but it left a lot of people asking questions and a lot of people sitting on their roofs with water all around, a lot of trees down in properties. And it brings up a lot of questions like, why would God allow a storm? These are situations that not only Christians wrestle with, but also non-believers. Why are there storms? And people might want to pass it off on the fact that we haven't recycled enough. 
We haven't saved the world enough, and so the temperatures are rising, and, and we, we've done all this. But I, I believe God is involved in all of weather. I want to begin our night. Of course, we said that He always tells the truth, and it tells us concerning God and the weather. It says, praise the Lord. This is from Psalm 148, verses 7 and 8. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures and all deeps, which are the oceans. And it goes on to say fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. The truth of the scripture says this, that, that storm didn't come off the Atlantic by itself, but that God is in control of the weather. Things aren't just mixed up on the earth because they happen to be or because God wound it up like a top and let it go, but because God is in control of the weather. In Psalm chapter 19, it says that the, uh, uh, the heavens declare the glory of God. And that all this world has been made in order to show us God. In Romans chapter 1, it says that no one was without excuse because God's invisible qualities are clearly seen in the creation that He has made so that we can view Him. We're without excuse. And so God has created a sanctuary. And within that sanctuary, as He rolls out the weather, whether it's a sunny day, a cloudy day, a storm across the Atlantic that comes and drops a lot of rain and causes a lot of havoc, God is in control. He allows these things. He does these things. So we're going to tackle this and we're going to look at four different storms that we've all probably heard of from the Scriptures and ask this question, why does God allow storms? Why does He send storms if He's in charge of the weather? Why has He done this? You know, we decorate sanctuaries in order to help reveal God and to show who He is. Right now, this is decorated for fall. and We're reminded through the season, we've brought it inside to re remember that, that God has seasons and slowly things die. But then there's the recovery after the winter and then there's a resurrection Amen. with the spring. Later on, we're going to bring in Christmas. You will probably have things all around you. Decorate your sanctuary and it all draws our eyes in this sanctuary to God. And God does that in the world and with storms. And we're going to take a look at some of those things. For the, for the first thing that I want to note for storms, why God would send a storm, I want to take us to the book of Jonah really quick. All of us know probably the story of Jonah. We learned it in maybe Sunday school. We read it in books. You maybe even saw it on a cartoon at some point. Uh, Jonah, it's a story that we know. Whereby God had told them, I want you to go and I want you to deliver a message to Nineveh. Jonah didn't like it. He didn't like Nineveh. Those were the terrorists. And so it says that Jonah not only wanted to not do what God wanted, but he actually wanted to get away from the presence of God. He wanted to completely get away from God. He didn't want to have anything to do with him. And it says that Jonah went so far that he paid a fare. He, he emptied his wallet to pay for a ticket to get on a boat to go the other way to Tarshish. And so Jonah gets on the boat and we find in Jonah chapter one, verse four, it says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. There didn't just happen to be a storm. The boat just didn't happen to rock. The sailors that were there just couldn't not control the boat because they didn't want to that day. God, it said, had hurled a wind and a tempest onto that sea. Why would he do that? You know, when our kids were younger, one of our kids, and I can't actually remember which one it was, went running in a full sprint. And I remember this man with a, with a big, strong arm finally came and, and battered one of the children and, and knocked them off of their path. 
Now, who would do that to a child? You know who would do that to a child? Their father. I did that. As that child was running with full steam towards a busy road, their father came with his arm and knocked them off the path. Why? To correct their direction. I desired life for my child. I loved my child. And so I used all my strength and all my will and all my love to take and knock them off the course that they had set right before the vehicle came and would have killed them. See, when Jonah got on that boat, surely God was upset. Like a parent might be. But you know why that storm came? For correction. So that's the first reason I want to bring up that God might bring a storm. God might desire to correct people. He might choose to hurl something our way in order to cause us to stop and to get off the boat or maybe be, as it says later, it uses the same word, hurled off the boat and to be scooped up by the grace of maybe a big whale and then vomited on a beach and be put back on our path. God wants to correct His people because He loves us and He has things for us to do. The second reason there might be a storm, we find this over in the book of Matthew. Uh, Jesus has His disciples who many of them were, were seafarers. They had gotten into the boat and as... Uh, they got into the boat, they go out and there's a storm going on. And it says in this particular passage in Matthew chapter 8 that as the storm is going on, Jesus was asleep. He was being rocked asleep like he was in Mary's arms again. And so while it's sleeping, the storm comes and even these sailors who were experienced, they couldn't control the boat. In fact, it was so scary that they went down to Jesus and they said, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus' response was this. He says, and he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And then it says that he he rose and he rebuked the wind and the sea. Again, God commanded the wind and the sea and it stopped. He already knew the storm was coming, but now he's told it to stop. And it said this, and the men marveled saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? The first time we saw that he corrected. In this one, we see that they got into the boat and it seemed like they were followers. It seemed like they were disciples on course with Jesus. But when things got turbulent, they took their eyes off him. He says, why are you afraid? Why don't you have faith? And so God will sometimes bring a storm our way because he realizes that we don't trust him. We don't believe that He's going to carry us to the intended goals that He has for our life. He doesn't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't trust Him. And so He wants to grow our faith and cause us to trust Him in that thing. So we've seen in the first storm that God uses it to correct. We saw in the second one that God uses it to grow faith. In fact, remember, just speaking on that one again, just a couple chapters later in Matthew chapter 14, that's the story where Peter sees Jesus come walking out on the water. And Peter says, if that's you, if it's not a ghost, tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. Peter gets down out of the boat. But it says, Peter began to look at the waves. And he began to sink. And Jesus reached out his hand and he saved Peter. But then he says to Peter, why did you doubt me? Where was your faith? It was a faith issue. He needed to grow his faith. He needed to trust Jesus more. And, And one more note about that. The word that's used for storm in Matthew chapter 8 is this, seismus. Seismus is the same word that we get the word earthquake, and that's usually how it's used in the Scriptures, that there's been something so turbulent 
And on that sea, it was turbulent. So we've had correction. We've had the opportunity for us to grow our faith. The next one we want to address comes from Acts chapter 27. This is the story where the Apostle Paul has been arrested. He has desired to go and speak his case before Caesar. And so while he's bound up, they put him on a boat and they start sailing across the Mediterranean. It's heading towards winter, which is not a good time to be sailing in the Mediterranean. But they want to make it to a certain place at a certain time. And so even though Paul says you shouldn't do it, the captain says we're doing it. And the boat went. And as they got out, boom, the storm hit. It was one called a Northeaster. You ever heard of one of those? Yes. It says the Northeaster took that boat and took them out to sea and they had no control over the boat. These experienced sailors, again, it says, were so broke up over it that they were trying to throw things overboard. They were trying to actually tie the boat together so that it didn't break apart. But Paul knew this. God had told them, you will be going to Rome. Now, Paul could have said, I want first class. I want free food. I want God... I'm, I'm one of your great apostles. Make this journey easy. And yet here's the great apostle Paul submitting himself to God. And God brings the storm, a northeaster down. And so the boat's going and it's going and it's going. And the Lord sends an angel to Paul one night in the midst of that storm. And it already said they couldn't even see the stars. They couldn't see the sun. They didn't know where they were because that's how they navigated. And it says all hope was lost. And yet God sent an angel to Paul. And it says, this is what the angel said to Paul. Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told, but we must run aground on some island. So Paul had woken up in the morning and told all the other people on the boat, hey, look, God came to me with an angel in the night. And he told me, I'm going to go talk to Caesar. And everybody on this boat's going to be saved. They could have said, you're a nutcase. You don't, you don't know what, that must have been some weird dream. Have you seen the storm we're in? And yet Paul stands in faith and says this, I have faith that God will do just as he said. We're all going to make it, but we're going to crash. The interesting thing about that story is as it goes on, the boat does crash. Anybody who can't swim has to get on a plank of wood and they finally all come upon the shore. All 276 passengers on that boat were saved. What was the purpose of that? Why would God allow that storm? Why did Paul have to endure maybe sitting on a rough plank, kicking his way to the beach? But we find out in the midst of that story that 276 people aboard that boat came face to face with the God who created the earth and the God who sent that storm and the God who declared to them in the midst of that storm, I will save you. And they landed on this island called Malta. Malta had native people who lived there who didn't speak the same language of Greek. So when they got there, here were these natives. And they have these prisoners, they have sailors, they have captains. What do you do with all these people that come ashore? But what happened on Malta was they saw miracles of God. And even though they couldn't speak the same language, they were seeing God revealed to them. And so in the first story, we saw that God would correct with a storm. In the second story, we saw that God would grow faith 
with a storm. In this third story, we see that God uses storms to bring the testimony and the gospel of Jesus to people. He will allow difficult circumstances and what looks like wreckage to show how He rescues. And so on the boat, here's all these men who are in the midst of wreckage and God says, I'm going to save you. He gets to Malta, people who never expected a missionary speaking about Jesus to show up and suddenly they say, our family's being healed. Who is this God? Storms allow great opportunities for the testimony of Jesus and what He's done on the cross for us to be made known when everybody is seemingly at their weakest. And so we've seen God use... Storms for correction. We see Him use storms to grow faith. We see that God uses storms to declare the testimony of the Gospel and Jesus Christ. And finally, we end with what is maybe the greatest known storm story, not just in the Bible, not just in churches, but in all the world. The Scripture says in Genesis chapter 6 that the world had become so evil that all people on all the earth did all the time was think, about how they could satisfy themselves and just be evil. People were violent. They were selfish. They were unrighteous. Nobody loved God. It was just complete wickedness. So God did something about it. It says in Genesis chapter 6, verse 13, God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Later on in verse 17 he says, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. God sometimes uses storms, just as we've seen with the flood, to bring judgment. When God has had enough, when He cannot take the sin and the wickedness of people anymore, He brings judgment. We see in that story that He brought it upon the earth. We've seen throughout history how He's brought it upon civilizations. In Amos, the book of Amos chapter 6, you know, they used to blow a trumpet when there was a warning in a city. And it says this in Amos chapter 3, verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? At times the Lord has had too much of sin and it ends and He brings judgment. In fact, we are told that there will be another time, just like the days of Noah, when God will say, that is enough! And I've saved all that I have numbered and the saints are coming home, but I am bringing judgment upon the earth. And there will be great storm and tribulation in that day. So we've seen the Lord bring storm for correction, for growing faith, for bringing the testimony of Jesus and for bringing judgment. So what do we make of Hurricane Florence? What do we make of any storm that comes across this country or this world? In fact, I don't want to limit it to just nature 
And whether there's precipitation or winds, fallen trees, earthquakes. I don't know about you, but I didn't have much damage in my house. In fact, we had one tree that was headed right for our tree house. And God stopped it by another tree. Some good arborist came and yanked it off our tree houses. I didn't have much damage in this storm. Sometimes these physical storms don't get us. What was God showing us? But I guarantee you, every single person in every one of these seats has endured other storms in life. The cancer has come. Someone close to you has died. The thing at work didn't work out the way that you wanted it to. The girl dumped you. These things come about. And we wonder like Job did. God, why? And God's answer to Job was, because I'm God. I have my purposes, which you can't handle. Where were you when I made the mountains? Where were you when I hung the stars? You don't understand. But you got to know this, Job. And you got to know this, people. God is God. And whatever storm that you're going through, whether it be one that's coming in off the ocean or one that just comes along in your schedule, you did not even see it coming, but God allowed it to come. We ask those questions. Why, God? Why the storm? And I believe that at times God will reveal to us why he sent the storm. Did he bring Florence or whatever storm that you just thought of in your mind? Did he bring it to correct you? Does He love you so much, but He's seen you wandering away from His presence. You wanting to go towards your own sin and, and, and your own defiance. You've been going that way so far that He had to come towards you like a father with a big mighty arm who is sparing you from disaster. Could be. Has He noticed that even though you've been to the altar and you say, Lord, I trust you for forgiven my sins that there's a lot of times right now that your faith is shaky. Something happened and you're like, God, I don't know that I can trust you. I don't know that I can walk on this water much more because it looks pretty crazy out here. Does Jesus in that storm need to come to you and say, hey, you have little faith. Why are you doubting? Why are you afraid? Is he trying to grow your faith in it? Maybe the storm that you're having to endure has nothing to do with maybe what he's trying to teach you, but what about those around you who need to hear about Jesus? They're all watching you. They're seeing if you're going to still bank on Jesus in the middle of the storm. They want to know if the one that you're saying, oh, I'm so blessed, I went to revival, I heard the Hickory Grove Quartet, and, and uh, we endured Jason, but, uh, you know, <laughs> the cherry on top was we had Tim sing. I'm blessed. And they're watching you say those things. And then the storm comes. And they want to see how you handle it. And in those moments, are you standing there in the storm saying, I'm going to declare to you, God will be good because He promised. And you get to say how good Jesus is. Or maybe in these storms, is God finally saying, I've had enough of your sin. I've had enough of you playing games and you have not been with me. You do not know me. And if today was to be your last day, you would forever be apart from me. 
That's a warning shot across the bow that I'm thankful that He gives. It gives me no right to look at any storm and say, how dare you, God? Because in all of those things, you know what God is doing? He's also being gracious. In the correction, the growing of faith, the giving of the gospel, and even in judgment, the Lord shows His graciousness. You know that every one of those stories, even though that storm was coming, He always saved people. He spared Jonah with the whale and all those other people on the boat. He rescued Peter by sticking out his hands and he told his disciples, where's your faith? And then he calmed the sea for him. They didn't perish. Paul and the others, they could either do the backstroke or they got on a plank, but they made it to land. And those people on Malta heard about Jesus. People were saved. And even at the flood, there was eight people and a whole host of animals that got on that boat and were saved. All those things were pointing, not that we should get on boats or planks or, or, or find out how to be good sailors. They were all pointing to Jesus. The Scripture says that there's no way to be saved in the chaos and storm of this life that was caused by our sin, except for us to say there is one way out. His name is Jesus. Because God is using this great sanctuary of creation and all that He does even in this space in order to get our attention. And if it takes a seismic earthquake or storm to do that, He's going to do it. Because He paid such an enormous price to save you. He loves you so much that He sent His one and only Son. Jesus Christ, God, took on flesh. And He didn't just live here for 33 years eating unleavened bread with the Jews. He was the sacrificial lamb who was put on that cross in your place. Instead of you, it was Jesus. You know that while Jesus was on the cross, Scripture says it was also the Father's will to crush Him. That He did not withhold a storm from Jesus. But when Jesus was on that cross, he actually cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the scripture says that he was crushed for our sins. He was crushed in our place instead of us. In fact, even right there, it says that the sky went dark and there was an earthquake in that place because it was all announcing the fact that we should pay attention. That if we would just believe in what Jesus did for us to save us, that God would say, I will take all your sins off of you and I will put it on Jesus and His cross. And you, you get to be saved. I want you to get with me on that boat. He tells us in Scripture, knowing the boat, that was a picture for you to see how Jesus wants to save you from judgment. I'm going to close with just a couple quick thoughts here. There's a song that's out right now that's really popular in Christian culture. It's playing on the radio. You hear it at concerts, sing it all over the place. It's got a ton of amazing, great lyrics. Now, how God's willing, because of His love, to do so much for you, to kick through walls, get into the shadows, and res- rescue. But then there's this line, and I, I just got to tell you, it irritates me. I just wish it would be stricken from the radio. Change the line or something. It says this. Oh, the reckless love of God. 
The reckless love of God. It's a catchy tune. There's lots of great stuff in it. But then it comes and says, God's love is reckless. I just want to say to you tonight that God's love is not reckless. It is so precise. We're told in Hebrews that His Word alone is like a a fine double-edged sword that is able to go into a heart and precisely bear us open and judge our hearts exactly as need to be, then why would he be careless then with his love and be reckless? No, he's not. He's not reckless when he sends a storm. He knows exactly what he's doing in his life because he loves you too much to be reckless. He is coming for you. And he's going to do exactly the thing that it takes to get your attention. So God's love, first of all, is not reckless. It's much like a pitcher. Some of you might, this is a big baseball state. And some of these pitchers are so good at what they do. They stand up there and they they throw these balls really fast. And they have to get it over the plate, try to strike the guy out. Now, I've tried that. I'm not very good at it. But those, those professional pitchers, man, they're spot on. That's why they get paid the big bucks. They have this one pitch that they call a curveball. And they take this thing and the way they spin it, the ball looks like it's going for the batter's head almost. And then suddenly it curves and dips in and poof! Exactly in the catcher's mitt. Right where the pitcher intended it. He didn't throw a reckless pitch. He threw a curveball. And it got exactly where he wanted it to go. God does the same thing with His love. And it might look reckless. It's not. It's precise. That storm might look reckless. It's going all over the map. I've heard that one might actually come around and come from North Carolina again, which we should be paying attention. If He didn't get our attention the first time, Hopefully we get at the second. But if God throws the curveball, he knows exactly what he's doing. Another thing is that these are things that Jesus said would be signs of his return. They're literally things that would happen in this creation with earthquakes and storms. That they would be an indication, even as they get closer together, that it'd be like labor pains. I remember when my wife was in labor. I mean, I was wide-eyed at this thing you know it was those labor pains they were tough but as i watched and i witnessed they got more frequent and they got more intense and jesus says at the end these things that you watch even in nature they're going to get more frequent and more intense and you'll know that jesus is coming soon in fact in the book of luke let me uh, tell you uh, when he's talking about these end times Matthew 24 talks about the labor, t- labor pains. But in Luke 21, listen to this, even concerning the storm we just had. This is what people on earth, how they're going to perceive storms. It says, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity. Everybody kind of going crazy and not trying to able to figure things out because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The Scripture said that the sea and the waves and all that would be going, all the nations, even maybe in its rising might be in perplexity and distress, but not the people of God. 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man said this would happen. 
And when you see those signs, get ready. He's about to come. So we need to be paying attention to the layer pains of Jesus' coming. Last thing is this. As we've acknowledged already that if the Lord is love and He's full of kindness, He's got a really great purpose for this. And there's one main purpose, and we've already kind of touched on this already, but I'd like to read out of Romans chapter 2, verse 4, which says, Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? God is always kind. And we have enjoyed what many people term as blessings, as His kindness. I have never missed a meal in my life. It's pretty obvious. I've been greatly blessed with food. It's His kindness. I've been blessed with a great family. I've got great church. I've got just so much. But there's been times when the Lord has brought swift and mighty discipline to Jason Hudson. He has had to hit me with some fierce, fierce storms. And even in the midst of the storms that he sent around here, there's times that I'm with this blessed family huddled in a closet wondering if that tornado's coming. But you know what? Even those things are kindness. And why would he do that? This verse said, Or do you presume upon the Lord that these things would just be for jolly good times? No. It says that his kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. And it's, it's so gracious of the Lord to say, time's not up yet. You've still got a chance to come and say, Lord, help. Lord, save me. I need your help. The scripture says in the book of Revelation, chapter 13 and 14, that while all the tribulation and all this stuff is going on, that there's a call that goes out to the saints. It says this is a call for endurance and for your faith. It's going to be tough. We're not to be unaware. We're to be aware. But as the storms come, we have to understand these are the Lord's storms. And He's got great purposes. And the greatest purpose is this. Is that before His wrath comes upon you, you would turn. And you would repent. And you would be corrected. You would grow in your faith. People might come become saved through what they hear out of your mouth in the midst of a storm. Before judgment comes. I want to end with a song tonight. Uh, the Lord had me write this uh, several years ago. And I actually don't even remember the exact circumstance. I just remember it was tough. It was one of those situations you would term as a storm. And the Lord took me to some of these passages. To help me realize that I can't just blame it on everybody else. Or something else. Now, I've got sin and God wants to deal with it. There's things going on in my life. He needs me to trust Him. And so He brought about this, this uh, song called Lost in Your Storm. And it has the, the framework first of showing that time with Peter on the water. Jesus come. And then also when uh, the shipwreck came with Paul. And um, just bear with me here. And I just want to sing this before the Lord and give Him praise for the times that He has used storm in my life. I don't be afraid 
These are the words you said to me That day we met out in the deep Whoa, it looked so deep Come, a word of power and command More sure than my foot on dry land Can I make it back into your grasp before I sink? Clear my ears to hear you Make my heart to trust you Cause me to obey you Cause I'm lost in your storm You've surrounded me A great and mighty flood So you can show yourself to me It's hard to believe it's from you But you've given me your word If I trust you with forever Doubting now would be absurd What purpose could this shipwreck serve? Is this the course I have deserved? Your thoughts are not my thoughts, you're right. I do not understand. You're closer than the sharks around. Your presence and your peace are found. Your love holds tighter than my fears. What sweet relief. Clear my ears to hear you. Make my heart to trust you Cause me to obey you Cause I'm lost in your storm You surrounded me A great and mighty flood So you could show yourself to me It's hard to believe it's from you But you've given me your word If I trust you with forever Doubting now would be absurd Clear my ears to hear you Make my heart to trust you Cause me to obey you Cause I'm lost in your storm Surround me A great and mighty flood So you can show yourself to me it's hard to believe it's from you But you've given me your word If I trust you in forever Doubting now would be absurd Cause I'm lost in your storm Surround me Great and mighty flood So you can show yourself to me It's hard to believe it's from you You've given me your word If I trust you with forever Doubting now would be absurd I'm lost in your storm